For our reading from God's Word this evening, we're turning to the New Testament, to the Acts of the Apostles, and to the 17th chapter. And we're reading of the account of Paul's arrival at Athens, what he said, and what the response of the people was. Acts chapter 17, we read for the last time from verse 16 uh, to the end of the chapter, verse 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with all those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life to men, to all men, and breath, and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the set times for them at the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. 
Well, may the Lord be pleased to bless that portion of his word as we'll be concentrating on verses 30 to the end of the chapter very shortly. We return then this evening to Paul's message at the Areopagus in Athens for the final time. Uh, As we have noticed already, uh, when he addressed them, uh, beginning there at verse 24, he first of all told them the truth about God. Very, very clearly. They had these various uh, idols and stones and shrines, uh, even to an unknown God, that they would uh, present sacrifices and worship. And uh, Paul was very, very clear. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. The sovereign Lord, the eternal God, who has forever been, for whoever will be. And there's nothing that we can bring to to add to him. He doesn't need us to feed him. Sovereign Lord. But the one and only God, in contrast to the polytheism uh, that was clearly evident uh, there in Athens and in Greek culture. And then he went on to speak, secondly, about the truth about mankind. Look at verse 26 to 28. From one man, reference to Adam, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. And in a nutshell, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's talking, he's talking biology. He's talking one, from one man. The whole creation, the whole human race has its existence. He's talking history here. Uh, the, pla- the, the, the times that they lived. The places, he's talking geography as well. It's covering this whole sense of the, the history uh, of the known world. And mankind is part and parcel of God's creation and also accountable to this sovereign Lord that he's already told them about. Now, unfortunately, because um, we are not able to spend three or four hours listening to a, a sermon, uh, we have to split these up, don't we? So imagine now you're, you're hearing Paul and Paul has talked to them about the sovereign God, the truth about God, then the truth about man. And he has one more thing to talk to them about. And you think, well, now what would that be? Is he a Welshman with three points for a sermon? No, he's emphasizing this last point because it's significant. The truth about God, the truth about mankind, the truth about the coming judgment. Now, if you think back or forward in the Acts of the Apostles, there comes a time when Paul is on trial. Uh, Festus first, then Felix. And remember, he's talking to one of them and he's saying, uh, beginning to preach to him about righteousness and justice. And uh, he draws back, uh, this individual, he draws back and he says, oh, we'll we'll, we'll hear you again about these things. Now remember that because this is going to happen again there in Rome. We're seeing it here. We notice the responses at the end in verse 32 to 34. Some are sneering, some are prevaricating, well, we'll hear you again, and we'll have a little chat about that again. Others believe. And that'll be the point of application tonight. Where are you in those three categories? 
But he's going to talk to them very, very clearly uh, about the truth of judgment. Now, verse 30, notice carefully, it tells us immediately about the forbearance of God or the patience of God. Another word for it, the long-suffering of God with the previous generations. Now, the old King James Version translated uh, this uh, phrase here, this word uh, translated as overlooked in verse 30, as God winked at. It's uh, sadly, uh, might well be an accurate translation, but it's unfortunate when you think about people today, isn't it? You know, a bit of collusion. So what is it? You, you give them a little wink, don't you? You say, you know, you're sort of telling the truth, but you're looking at someone else and you give them a wink. Now, th- there's no thought in this that uh, up until this point, uh, in one sense, the eternal God ha- had been in collusion. That there was a sort of secret agreement, even a, even a willingness of some sort uh, for these things to, to happen as they were. The word overlooked, perhaps, is to be preferred. But also as well, no one is to presume that they're able to hoodwink God to deceive or to trick him because he is the all-knowing God the all-seeing God I remember a very dear minister a great help to us in the church here uh, and that was the phrase that he used someone, someone had not told the truth and that was the phrase that he used he said ah well then he said looking at all the pieces now as we pull them together We've been hoodwinked. But you can't hoodwink God. But in this sense, God overlooked. Now, now what does that then refer to? Well, what this refers to is not bringing constant, instant judgment upon these actions. Because idolatry, which is what this was, and idolatry is the, the placing of something, some object or someone, some subject, in the place where God alone is to be worshipped. And we think of the New Old Testament, and that could be an instant judgment. It was certainly the case of the golden calf. Instant judgment fell upon the people there at Sinai. But God in his mercy, God in his forbearance and patience, now it doesn't mean that they're not held accountable and responsible for what they've done, but there is this sense of God's forbearance and mercy. But, says the Apostle Paul, From now on, things are different. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, we have to look at this sentence of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit very, very carefully. What Paul adds is that there is now no excuse in regard to this. Because of the preaching of the gospel, which he has already brought to them, he was doing this before they brought him to this meeting in the Areopagus. Do you remember? Uh, We read that there was uh, Paul, he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's verse 18. Now, in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, and uh, speaking about his life, his death, and his resurrection, there is now... Only one acceptable response with regards to idolatry. And that is repentance. What is repentance? Well, that's the the turning away from it. And not only then those man-made objects, but also man-made thoughts produced perhaps in discussion with other men. 
You have to put them aside. And you have to come and accept and receive God's word in the person of his son, the only saviour. And it's not only a turning from, but it's also a turning towards. A turning to Jesus Christ as your saviour. A turning to Jesus Christ as your captain, as your lord. And you follow him. Despite the difficulties, you follow him because he has loved you so much. Now we understand that this is a clear command. This is what the apostle again and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says. Yes, in the times past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands. Now we sometimes think of the gospel as, a, as an invitation. Invited, you are, you're invited Invited to, to consider it. If you've got time, if you've got time, um, if you can spare a few moments, we would like you to consider and, uh, and be invited to give thought to. The Apostle Paul is very clear. Sovereign God, mankind in its history and in its sin and in its rebellion, the truth about judgment. No delay. Things have to be put right. Things have to be dealt with. So it's a clear command. And that means it's more than a request. It's more than giving consideration to. It has this idea of summons. And I don't know if you've ever been summoned. Um, when I was a town councillor, I was regularly monthly summoned to a meeting. Now there are other meetings you can go to and you decide, well, I've been invited, but I'll see how I'm feeling. I don't have to go. But if... If, as a town councillor, when you accept the responsibility, you are summoned to attend. And if you don't attend, you have to give an apology and a reason for your non-attendance. It's much more seriously when you're, you're summoned to court, isn't it? Maybe to give evidence or to answer for a charge. And here we have this same sort of thought then, that men are now commanded to repent. And we notice also that all types of people are to be involved in this. He now commands all people, all people, all different types, young and old, men and women. We notice this at the end. There is a man, there is a woman who respond favorably to this message. Whatever level of education a person has, whatever experience of sorrow and grief they've been through, uh, that shouldn't hinder them. Uh, whatever sense of joy and happiness and feeling that their, their life has fallen to them in pleasant places and they don't need a God to worship. No, uh, all are called upon to repent. And it's also a summons uh, that we read here uh, extends everywhere. Look at the words again carefully. Yes, uh, God in the past, he's overlooked the ignorance and he now commands all people everywhere, everywhere to repent. So that's a summons then in a small room, college flat perhaps, a, a single room, a two up, a two down, terrace property, a detached house, a mansion or a palace, <laughs> wherever you are, everywhere you're called to repent. And it's everywhere, it's in the capital city. No, Athens isn't the capital, Corinth is the, is the centre uh, and that's where Paul eventually will make his way, leaving Athens. And uh, there, the, what, the provincial towns, uh, the isolated villages, wherever it is, everywhere, they're called upon to repent. 
Now, I think we can all agree that, in a few words, the Apostle Paul has made it very plain that this is a matter of importance for everyone, everywhere, and at every time. And it's a matter of importance that you have to deal with tonight as you listen to this reminder of these words being spoken to the people at Athens so long ago. You also are commanded to repent and to turn from the idols, those things that you've placed in the place of God. Now, some have entwined themselves into our very being, very difficult to, uh, to break free from. But by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be freed because this is the reason Jesus Christ came into the world, to make us the people he intends us to be. Is God central in your life? Is Jesus Christ your only hope in the face of judgment? Are you either under his wrath or are you under his wing? That's the choice. This is what the Apostle Paul is speaking about. Now, verse 31 very quickly tells us three things about this judgment that is coming. The truth about judgment. And very simply this evening, let's look at the, the verse, verse 31. First of all, notice it's universal. It's universal. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. He will judge the world. Now, there are those who say, well, look, if you want to be interested in these sort of religious questions, philosophical questions, uh, questions about your psychology, well, fine. But in the economic world, in the political world, we, we, we're not interested in any of that. But listen, I don't care what world you're living in, the world of football, uh, the world of ice skating, uh, the world of anything, the world of computer games and, and virtual reality, it doesn't matter, whatever world you're living in, God is going to judge the world in all its aspects. It's very clear. No one is excluded. No one escapes. Oh, we read the stories of some who fled the country seeking to avoid arrest. Recent uh, series of programs based on, uh, on the life of a, a former Labour MP fled the country sort of disappeared and then was found and held to account. And then also we, we know of other notorious murderers who uh, persuaded uh, a, a man uh, to give a saliva a sample in his name uh, to prevent him being arrested earlier than he eventually was. But uh, despite the, the deceitfulness and the craftiness of man, there's no escape from the final settlement of the debt that's accrued over the days and the weeks and the months and the years and the decades of deceit and forgery and lies and hypocrisy that a person lives. As someone put it well, life in one sense is like a large shopping centre or a large superstore, supermarket, and you take your trolley around with you and you... You can speak to the staff as you like. You can steal a biscuit. You can taste all the grapes. You can kick some things over. You can put what you like in the trolley. But in the end, under the eye of the security camera, you have to meet the checkout. 
And in one sense, isn't life very much like that? You can act as you like, you can treat people as you like, you can do what you like. But in the end, as Shakespeare said, we'll all shuffle off this mortal coil. And when we check out, then there's the checkout. So it's universal. The second point is this, that we read in this verse, it is righteous. Notice what uh, the Apostle Paul says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Now you see, there were judges who were judged with injustice. This is one of the the difficulties of many of the the, the African countries today, who who came away certainly from from the terrible times in one sense of, of being under the control of empire, having all their, their wealth stolen from them. But then when they began to become leaders in their own right, did they, did they judge justly? Many of them haven't. Been in control, some have been there for, for decades, and, uh, and reaped the benefits personally for themselves, but not fed their people. Well, it'll be righteous. There will be parity, equality, fairness. We often read of the miscarriages of justice. Uh, people hanged for crimes that they, they did not commit. And so we understand why then uh, the country made the decision in the 60s uh, to cease that uh, hanging of individuals. And then uh, those corrupt investigations or cover-ups that led to sentences uh, for crimes that were the responsibility of others, just to close the case. Oh, we, we read about them, and we know, and we, and we sort of think, well, this is the world that we live in, and, and God is no different. If there is a God, he'll be no different. But the investigation, and the exposure, and the fair consequences of what we have done will be laid at our door. And the evidence will be clear. It'll be untampered with. It'll be our fingerprints. It'll be our saliva. It'll be our DNA. And it'll be the DNA of our thoughts, as well as the actions and our words. And it'll be a measured judgment. In the light of what you knew. What you did deliberately what you did against your conscience. And there will be no appeal for leniency because you will be dealt with fairly. So, it's universal. Secondly, as well, it's righteous. And then thirdly, it's certain. It's certain. Now, how do we know this from the text? Well, read it through. There are two words here that uh, emphasize it very clearly. The first, for he has set a day. The day is set. Uh, The second word is, he has appointed a man. Now, those two words together tell us very clearly this is certain. This is uh, definite. The one is, a day has been set for the judgment. And a judge has been appointed. And the judge is, notice, a man. He's not named, the Apostle Paul doesn't name him. But at that point, he doesn't name him, but he's identifiable by this proof that this man has been raised from the dead. So Paul knew who he was talking about. 
And those who'd already listened to Paul, back at verse 18, speak of Jesus and the resurrection. It would have been Jesus' resurrection in the first instance that Paul was talking about, not a general resurrection. Now, here's the interesting thing, you see. The Greeks could well believe in the immortality of the soul, the inner being. But as far as they were concerned, the outer being, the, the human body, well, it was like a, a, an outer garment. It was like an old uh, sort, of, sort of thing that you wore and you could, you could disparage it. It didn't matter how you treated it because it would just go to dust. But the, little, the bit inside you, the real you, would live forever. And Paul is saying, no. Body and soul. There is a resurrection from the dead. And that caused them, of course, then to sneer and to ridicule him. Well, we can see then that it is definite. We may all definitely be able to remember how important exam dates were passed on to us. I can remember it now. The year was 1972. The month was June, the day was a Tuesday, and the exam was English language. I was so grateful because you couldn't really swat for English language, could you? Other than read a dictionary all night. So, but I had the date, and I had the time, as to when I would begin the exams. Forget what had happened before. The exams. Now, we've all got that in our minds and memory. But in such an important manner then, this is an exam which we're all facing. And it all depends on your relationship to this man, this resurrected man, this appointed judge who's referred to here, as to how it'll go for you. You're either going to be forgiven and pardoned, and assured of that now, and you become part of God's family. You were an orphan, but you're now a child, an adopted child of God, through the blood and marriage of Jesus Christ, through his death. Or, you are on that day facing judgment for your own, unconfessed, because you wouldn't own up to them. And you weren't going to own up to them. You had to save face in, the, in, 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 in regard to those who you walked with, and who you lived with, who you worked with. You saved face, you never owned up, you never said it was true of you, you never said, I, I did it. It's unconfessed and so it's unforgiven. Now finally, look at the response. Well, when they heard about the resurrection of, from the dead, some of them sneered, others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So, the sneers and the scorns. And I'm sure there might be those listening to you, listening to me tonight, and they, they're this, there he is, ranting again about a judgment that's coming. Life is the judgment. You get, the, you get this sort of karma in life, if you're not, so I try to keep busy and try to keep well and do some good deeds. Life is the judgment. It's nothing in comparison to what the scripture says here. In one reality, we're with Pascal, aren't we, on that wager? Uh, if we're wrong, if the scriptures is wrong, and the, the Christian is wrong, well, do you know, we, we die, and we never find out we were wrong, because there's nothing. But the unbeliever who said, it's all rubbish, he dies, and he finds out he was wrong, 
and he's facing the judgment. Now, Pascal would talk about a wager. Take the wager. Bet on the right horse. But we don't need to think like that. The scriptures is clear. We all know that we've done wrong. We all know that there's unconfessed things. And they have to be dealt with. This is where sometimes deathbeds can be so difficult because people are trying to put things right at the end. And with all the tablets and all the difficulties and all the, the memory loss, it's, it's hard to put it together. Deal with it now. Deal with it now and have it put behind you. Have it put behind his back. Have it cast into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. But some refused and some scorned and sneered. Others procrastinated. Well, we'll hear you again about this. But we do read wonderfully that some did believe. A man, Dionysius, seemed to be a part and parcel of that intellectual group there. Damaris, whether she was part of it as well or perhaps uh, uh, just in that area. You've got this contrast then. Now, let's ask as we close. Where are you in the story? Are you a sneerer? Are you procrastinating, putting it off? Or are you like this Dionysius? Are you a Dionysius this evening? Are you a, a Damaris? Well, you might want to keep your, your proper names. That's fair enough. But in spirit, in heart, you believe. And you trust in this man who's been raised from the dead, who forgives sins. Oh, I pray that you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour tonight. Amen.